Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy, and Jesus had 12 disciples, all different types of personalities, and he had a skeptic among them named Philip. Perhaps you're a skeptic. You wonder, can God use me? Not only did God use Philip, he became born again. He opened up into the ministry and helped change the world around him. If God could help him, he can certainly help you, you skeptic. Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. So glad to have you here today. I like to look through the Word of God and find people that were similar to me because it gives me confidence, you know, that God can use me. And uh, I look around today at people and then I look at them and go, well, listen, if God could use them, he can certainly use me. And Jesus had 12. One of them was an unbeliever. And uh, that's, you know, that's uh, the one that betrayed him. Judas is the one that betrayed him. And of course, that's the one that, uh, in, you know, was an unbeliever and usually had something bad to say about every situation because he wanted the money. But we're going to talk today about Philip, the skeptical disciple. And uh, maybe you're a skeptic. You know, he, he was one that looked at every situation and hardly ever saw anything good in it. Perhaps you're the one that out of a group of people going, yeah, that's a good idea. You always throw in something negative because you look at the other viewpoint of everything. And uh, we find out that's what Philip was. But God ended up using him in a tremendous way. In fact, he had a very hard time trusting Jesus because he had a hard time understanding faith. And so this is not Philip the evangelist that occurs over in Acts chapter 6 that went on in Acts chapter 8. No, this is one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus named Philip, very close friend with Nathaniel, and they hung out together. Not a lot is mentioned about him, but enough to help us find out that God can use anybody, including you. And sometimes we look at our natural tendencies and say, well, he doesn't understand. You know, this is the way my mom was, my dad was. You can break that link to that by simply operating in faith and by the word of God, because God's word is more powerful than any natural link around you, including your education. You say, well, I was educated this way, or perhaps, you know, you had a bent in that direction and you can have two or three children born in the same family and none of them have the same viewpoint on life. One's very optimistic. One seems to be just pretty much list whatever comes along, I'll go with it. And yet one is very negative. Philip would be that one, skeptic, negative about everything, always looked at the, the, the natural side of things and figured out what can't be done. And so this is the one we're going to talk about today. So turn with me to John, the first chapter. John mentions more about Philip than anybody else. And so uh, he, John is also uh, is the one that mainly mentioned about him, but Matthew also mentioned him in chapter 10 and verse 3. And that's about the only other reference we have to him. Until we get to the second chapter of Acts, he was in the upper room with the disciples. So in John chapter one, let's take a look at verse 43. That's toward the end of the chapter. Then we'll jump down to chapter two in verse one. And here it says, the next day Jesus went into Galilee and found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and from Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip came to you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, from now on, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
In this passage we've just taken a look at, we find out when, when again, when Philip first saw Jesus, he was interested in him. In fact, he, for that moment, he caught on to faith with him and came to Nathanael and even introduced him to, to Nathanael as the Messiah. So he accepted him as Lord and Savior. And of course, we know that when he came to him, Nathanael had a hard time believing he could be. I like the way Jesus operated. Jesus operated a lot in word of knowledge. This is the way that he ministered to people through word of knowledge. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but used again here by Jesus in witnessing to people. He said, I saw you sitting under a tree, Nathaniel, later on. In John chapter four, he went where he went uh, and saw the woman at the well in, and uh, with his disciples, and he's looked at her and she said, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. She ran back into town and said, come see a man that told me everything I have ever done. She received him as Lord and Savior because of the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And here we have in these verses of scripture again, this is not Philip the evangelist. This uh, man named Philip was one of Jesus' disciples. Philip is only mentioned in one other gospel, Matthew chapter 10 and verse three. But without John, we wouldn't know much about Philip. In fact, we would probably know nothing about Philip other than Matthew 10, three, his name was mentioned. John mentioned he's from the city of Andrew and Peter to give us some association because Andrew and Peter were both, I would say, more than notable disciples among them. Let me take a look at Peter. Peter was a man that was up and down, in and out, wide swing, emotional, for Jesus one minute, against Jesus the next minute, denied him in front of a little girl, and yet went on to be one of the most solid disciples. And his book of First and Second Peter is an outstanding accreditation to the word of God and the power of the word of God to deliver us in life. So again, he's Jewish by birth and by religion, but he had a Greek name. His parents were apparently open to Greek culture. This may be one reason why Jesus chose him. Philip and Nathaniel were apparently close friends and they studied the Old Testament prophets together. They knew about Jesus coming. They knew about the prophet, capital P, the one that would come and deliver Israel, the one that would be the redeemer of the world. And it says when Jesus found Philip, it was by the leading of the Holy Spirit, but Philip had been seeking Jesus through the word. He was open to it, but again, he was probably a great studier. He probably knew the scriptures, knew the word, but when it came down to actually meeting Jesus and seeing him, he probably looked at him and saw his humanity. He wasn't a strikingly good looking person. If this really is the Messiah, this is not at all what I thought about him. I figured he'd be dressed nice. I figured he'd be handsome. He would be outgoing. He would have a pleasing personality. He would attract people to himself. But what he saw in him was just like it says in Isaiah, he was not a man that had anything about him that would draw us to him. He was pretty much plain and ordinary, as again, we are told in Isaiah. Philip knew Jesus was Messiah when he met him and talked with him. Nathaniel questioned because Old Testament scripture didn't say he would come from Nazareth. But even at that point right there, we have the fact that Philip, seeing Jesus, recognized him, even though he did not make common sense to him. But later on, his common sense is going to overwhelm his faith in Jesus. Yes, he still has faith in Jesus. But we're going to find out after that, he kind of reverts back to what he was. How many times have we seen that? A person receives Jesus, gets all turned on, but then after a while, if you don't continue in the word of God, there is no renewing of the mind. Your mind just swings back to the way you've always looked at things, that skeptical attitude. I remember having board members. I had a board, I had seven men on my board and they were business people, but I could pretty much count on the on them after a while 
that I would knew how they would react to something I would give them, be a new project. And, and most of them would always say, Pastor, that's the way you want it. We've always seen God come through. He will come through. But I had two on the board that were literally business people and skeptical business people. They built their business on the very side of not erring on any kind of venture, hardly at all. They would very be very careful. They would long do much searching out. And they would long search out a subject before they would ever make an act on it, make sure they had some money in the background, always looking for something they could fall back on if this venture did not work out. And that's the way they looked at the church. No matter how long I pastored, no matter the long track record we have of, of hearing from God, trusting in God, most of the board members saying yes, but these two, I can always count on them. But you know what? I almost welcomed it to look at and say, okay, let's find out how that'll fit into this scenario. But you know what? Kind of like the disciples of Jesus, they all had their particular viewpoints and Jesus had to work around those and as many times probably even use it or used it to answer questions. So the Pharisees did the same thing with Nicodemus in John chapter seven and verse 52. Just like here in these verses of scripture, search and look out for out of Galilee arises no prophets. These guys had a hard time figuring that out. Nathaniel believed as Jesus used a word of knowledge. I saw you sitting on the fig tree. It took the supernatural to break that. And at that point, Nathaniel received him as Lord and Savior. But again, we find out that Philip already had trusted in God, already told Nathaniel what he had seen. And now he came to Jesus and we find this out now, he becomes part of the disciples. There's a time in John chapter six, if you wanna go ahead and turn there with me, in John chapter six, we're gonna take a look at verses three through seven, that Jesus tested Philip. There's always a time of testing that comes into our life. Jesus doesn't test us with sin. No, he tests us to see really and let us know our progress. He doesn't need to test us, he knows where we are. He does it for our benefit. And Jesus tests Philip in this case to really let Philip understand where he was. Oftentimes we fail the test. There's times when Jesus would come to his disciples. That's a question. They would just fall apart. I loved it when Jesus stood there on the water and told all of his disciples, he said, come and join me. But none of them would step out except for Peter. And Peter, just in his anxiety and all the stuff he always walked in, he just jumped out, maybe trying to prove something to the other disciples that he would be the one that would do it. Or even to Jesus, I have failed you many times, but this time I'm a step out on the water. And he stood on the water and he walked. Later on, he sunk, but Jesus reached out and picked him back up. It's when he got his eyes off of Jesus, onto the winds, onto the water. So that was, again, that was Peter up and down, in and out, wide swing, but Philip was the skeptic. And so this is the time where he was going to feed the 5,000. And notice what it says in John chapter six, verse three, Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples and the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come to him and said to Philip, where shall we buy that these may eat? Where shall we buy bread that all these people may eat? And this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He knew he was going to multiply the loaves and fishes. He knew he would start with a small amount. Look at uh, Philip's answer in verse 7. Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have just a little bit. Philip must have been an accountant, a bean counter. He was tight. But when he looked at that group out of the people, immediately his lightning fast mind, like hitting on a calculator, he looked out there and saw and said, well, good Lord, there's a bunch of people out there, some 5,000. I've cal calculated over 5,000 just men besides the women and children. And if we had 200 pennies worth of bread, now that doesn't make sense to us today, but 200 pennies worth was a year's salary. He said, if we had one man's annual salary here, 
and we spit it on all these people, they would only have just a little morsel of food, just a little bit. And so perhaps the money bag held about 200 pennies worth. Maybe the, the, the bag he carried had a year's worth of supply of money in it just for the disciples. And he figured if we just took and emptied this bag and spent it on nothing but food, everybody would have just a tiny bit. So he said, I've calculated over 5,000 men besides women and children. It would take one year's salary just to give everybody a tiny bit. We could spend all we have and everybody would just have just a little bit of food. Does that sound like you? Have you looked at that? Has God spoken? to you about doing something in your life and you begin to look back at your money that you have and think, do I have enough? I don't think I even have enough to get started on this thing. It simply comes back to this. If you have a word from God, put your faith and trust in him. We're going to find out Philip was reluctant now, but boy, later on, we're going to find out he was a man that was quick to speak up about the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come back after the break, we'll take this up. And again, I want to thank you that are watching, just being faithful to watch. And those that are partners with me, faithful to be partners with me. Those who pray for me, faithful to be prayer warriors with me, I'd like you just to step out a little bit further and all of you become partners with me in giving toward this ministry on a monthly basis. You can go to my website, bobyandian.com and find out how you can become a partner with me. I would consider it an honor for you to join hands with me and join hearts with me in the spreading of the word of God. See you right after the break. In these six studies of notable characters in the New Testament, Bobby Indian provides insight into the lives of six New Testament believers and gives us a better understanding of their impact on the church and the spreading of the gospel of Jesus. Join Pastor Bob as he reveals what the Bible teaches about John, the apostle of love, Philip, the first evangelist, Nicodemus, when the tables have been turned, Philip, the skeptical disciple, Stephen, an example of faithfulness, and Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian regiment. To order character studies in the New Testament, visit our website at bobbyandian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified, redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. All right, welcome back. Thanks again for being here with the broadcast today. Let's continue talking about Philip. Again, the skeptic, the one that was around Jesus, had a hard time looking at things. Again, I guess if Jesus ever had a board meeting, brought all the disciples together to ask him 
Ahiki Kano felt going, well, you know, this is this might cost a lot of money. I don't know how much we've got in the bag. And I'm sure on the other hand, you know, that uh, the other disciples, uh, Peter might be the first one to emotionally say, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then later on fall apart. So every one of them had different personalities that came through. But the amazing thing about it, following Jesus, those who really listened to him, walked with him, learned from him, became a disciple of him, became very stable in their life. In other words, more Christ-like. That's the purpose of the Christian life. The first purpose of the Christian life is to evangelize, win souls out there, win them to Jesus. But the second part is toward us to make disciples out of us, and that's by following in the word of God, letting our mind become the mind of Christ to where we think through the word of God. And of course, Philip eventually became that. Peter amazingly became that. John always seemed to be in that direction, always the one that loved Jesus, more quiet and all of that. But today we are really isolating Philip, bringing him out. Perhaps perhaps you're one of those that when you look at a situation, all you can think about is the natural side of things. Do we have enough money? You're skeptical about everything. And that's why I'm calling this one, Philip, the skeptic. Let's take a look at John chapter 12. We're going to take a look at verse 20 through 22. And here we find out that there was a time when Philip became reluctant to speak about Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. If you don't stick with the word of God and you don't stay with the word of God and continue to stay the word of God, you will fall back into the type of person you were before. Not a sinner, not headed toward hell, but in your thinking. And you begin to think after a while, well, maybe this is just the way I am. For a while, I really trusted God, shouted, rejoiced with him. I don't do that anymore. It's because you're not continuing in the word of God. You're expecting past successes, past knowledge of God's word to carry you through today, but that's like depending on last week's meal and the month before meal to carry you through today. You've got to keep eating day after day. And the word of God is our bread of life. So we find Philip in that case. The further you go down through the book, the more we find out Philip falling back into this reluctancy, Philip falling back into this skepticism, him falling back into the natural thinking, perhaps the way he's always thought and his thoughts haven't changed, but something's gonna shake him. And here we have in this story, we have where Jesus is being spoken of that uh, Philip was reluctant to even speak up about Jesus. And here's the guy that was not afraid in the very beginning to say to Nathaniel, I found the Messiah, here he is. And even with Nathaniel coming saying, well, are you sure he coming out of Nazareth? He said, come and see him. But now we find that enthusiasm is waned because you can't live on enthusiasm. You've got to live on your understanding and knowledge of the word of God. Isaiah 33, six, wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. Here in John 12, 20 through 22, there were certain Greeks among them who came to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and desired of him saying, sir, we want to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So here we have, he never did tell these guys where to find Jesus. He went and found Andrew, first of all, then Andrew and he went to see Jesus and essence set up where Jesus could go see them rather than these guys come and see Jesus. We think, well, this wasn't anything. These guys just want to meet Jesus. Well, listen, this was shattering for Philip because he looked at the circumstances, probably went through all the scenarios what if these guys are really this and they really come to evil and they're pretty bound to do this? And I mean, all these thoughts came to him and acting in fear and all that, not even realizing, well, Jesus is the Messiah. I've seen Jesus do incredible things. I've seen him walk out of groups that wanted to kill him. And he just walked right out from among them. And now, right now, instead of remembering all those wonderful, powerful things he saw about Jesus, the Messiah, he's now falling back on the thing. Well, what if I'm the one that betrays him? What if I'm the one that tells these guys and I really don't know? He starts writing down this list of things. I'm sure Jesus must have laughed when he 
came to see him and brought Andrew with him. And these two told again, uh, Jesus, they came and again, Philip told Jesus here about what to go do with this group of people. So we have, again, the Greeks who came to the feast of Passover. They were interested in meeting Jesus. They probably overheard the disciples speaking to one with a Greek name named Philip. So they approached him, asked to see Jesus, and he passed it off to other people. Again, simply in fear. This is what we find. And in each case, we find him diminishing a little bit. The first time we find him excited about Jesus, and he came again and told uh, Nathaniel about him. And then now we find him reluctant to speak up about Jesus in this case. We find him doubting Jesus in the second case. In this case, again, reluctant to speak about Jesus. But now we find him in total unbelief. In John chapter 14, take a look at verse 7 through 11. Jesus speaking here says, if you had known me, you should have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. It will satisfy us. Notice this. Here's a guy that saw Jesus and believed in him because of his words, because of his deeds, because of the miracles he believed in him. Now he's simply saying, I have to see it before I'll believe it. So Philip said again to him, Lord, show us the father. It will satisfy us. Jesus said to him, have I been such a long time with you? And you have not known me, Philip? Philip, how long have we been together? I mean, we read about him at the opening of the book of John. We're now in chapter 14 of John. And now he doesn't even know if he can see the Father. I have to see him physically in front of me. He that's seen me has seen the Father. He knew this. This is knowledge that he had. This is nothing new to Philip. Is Philip is not acting on what he knows. He knows that Jesus is the manifestation of God the Father. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And to see Jesus is to see the Father. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Then how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father who dwells in me. He's the one doing the work. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for my very work's sake. This gets right down to the very basis of what Jesus is. Jesus is God the Father inside of a human body. Inside of Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. The very opening scriptures of the Old Testament describe Jesus coming says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we have right there the fact that Jesus Christ is a human being and God the Father lives inside of him and they became one person, united one person forever. Jesus, the unique person of the universe, 100% God, 100% man, and came to demonstrate and show Jesus Christ in this earth as being the Messiah, God inside of a human being. the fact when Jesus was born in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, he even spoke to the Father from his deity. He spoke about both fathers. Remember the verse where Jesus stayed in the temple and the mother and father looked for him and and, G, and his mother came to him and said, look, you, me, and, me and your father have searched for, for you. And where are you? And he looked and said, you mean my father? He said, no, I'm about my father's business. In one verse, Jesus mentioned his natural father for the humanity of him. Jesus mentioned his natural father, the overseer of his life, the legal father that he had, but he also mentioned the heavenly father, the one that actually created him in the womb. And Jesus Christ admitted, I am a man, but I'm also God himself. 
And that's why he's telling Philip in these verses of scripture. Philip has been three years with Jesus and has regressed. The others are building up one by one. Maybe Peter was still having a hard time, but man, we find here in this verse of scripture, Philip was regressing and his old way of thinking came on him. He's used to judging everything by sight. And now he's simply saying, unless I can see God the Father, I can't believe that he is really God. And Jesus said, are you kidding? I am Jesus. I am God manifest in front. To see me is to see the Father. To touch me is to touch the Father. God the Father has come down here where I can talk to you, walk with you, instruct you. You can reach out and touch me. You can ask me questions. All the things you wanted, you wish God would come down and do. I'm doing that right now. This was my whole purpose in life to come and be the one that would be the savior of all mankind. By now, he should be instructing others, but he has to be taught the most simple areas of faith himself. You know what? Right now, he's a carnal Christian. This is described in Hebrews chapter five, where Paul, speaking to the Hebrew saints about the point that he said, you used to be teachers. Now you need all over again to be taught. Now, first, you are the, you, you reached the point of being able to teach others, but now you need to sit down and someone teach you the most elementary understandings of the word of God. That's Hebrews chapter five, the end of it, and the opening of chapter six. And he mentions all the things that need to be retaught it. And that's what he's simply telling to Philip. Philip, you should be instructors now, but you need to be taught. Somebody else needs to be teaching you. I am actually having you travel with me and you need to be keeping up on the very elementary things because you know what, Philip? He says, I have taught you, but you don't hear me. You're not listening to me and you're not growing in the things of God. So it comes here. Philip has not allowed the teaching or the miracles to turn his own skepticism aside. He's still falling for his skepticism every time. His calculating mind has always come up short each and every time. Let me tell you what changed Peter around. What changed Peter around was the day of Pentecost. When he was in the upper room, this man that a few days before that backed down in front of a little girl around a fire as Jesus was being arrested and she questioned Peter three times. You're you're one of his disciples. He says, no, I'm not. I'm not one of his disciples. Second time he got angry at her. The third time he even cursed and said, I'm not one of his followers. I'm not one of his disciples. And the third time he did that in front of the, what was she going to do? Beat him up? A little girl here, a fisherman? He was, and he was backing down to what she was saying. And the third time when he said they looked up and Jesus was staring at him and Peter realized what he had done. And he went out and he wept and cried bitterly. So here's the other point. On the day of Pentecost, this man changed. This man that backed down in front of a little girl and then turned around and preached to a gigantic audience won 3,000 devout Jews to Jesus on that day. The same thing happened with Philip. It's the day of Pentecost that turned Philip around. Acts chapter one, verse 13. When they came in, they went to the upper room where were both Peter and James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Philip, life was changed in the upper room, like Thomas and like Peter. Philip went to Scythia, part of southern Russia, and settled in Hierapolis near Laodicea, and he helped carry the gospel into Europe. This man that, again, we find was a skeptic, now turned into a full-blown disciple of Jesus Christ and taught the word of God and carried the gospel and saw many people saved. He reminds us that God can use ordinary calculating skeptical people as disciples. And with anyone out of any congregation, anyone out of any walk of life, the Holy Spirit's more powerful than your personality, your skepticism, your emotionalism, your sense of humor, maybe the the staunch personality you have that you think nothing can cut through this. 
the gospel camp, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but also the power of God unto discipleship. And God can mold you, help shape you if you'll just be open to his word, to study his word, to hear it, to grow in it, and become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes down to this. If Philip could be saved, then mature and grow so can you. He becomes a shining example to every one of you skeptical people. There's times I'm skeptical too, who examine your checkbook, who examine all your money first or examines all the circumstances before you make a decision. He can help you to understand you too can grow in the things of God. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.